This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Illini Enquirer podcast. Jeremy Warner, Illini Enquirer publisher here with you. And today on the podcast, Michael Atsua makes his weekly visit with us, breaking down the loss to Purdue and what was a double overtime classic. It was entertaining, but uh, unfortunately for Illinois, uh, it's the second loss to a marquee opponent. So you're not able to get that marquee win under your belt quite yet, but there will be more opportunities coming up. But I talked with Michael Tulip a little bit about what he thought about Purdue, one, but also some Kofi struggles a little bit. Uh, dive into was a little cause for concern against better opponents, marquee opponents, Big Ten opponents, but also the up side of adding Andre Curbelo and how fascinating and, and fantastic was he uh, in his first game back after missing 11 games. The Benjamin Bossman's Verdant game, unfortunately didn't win it, so it doesn't go down in too much lore, but he had a fantastic performance. And another player that, that gives us a lot of hope moving forward, kind of breaking out of a little bit of slump. So we'll break that all down with Michael too. But before we get to Mike, I want to talk a little bit of Illinois football because Monday was the first day or the last day uh, that people could withdraw their names from the NFL draft. Then Tuesday was the first day of classes for Illinois. So basically, you're not going to have any more departures for the draft. You're not going to have uh, any more coming in probably for the semester because school has already started, correct? So we can kind of do this, let's see where Illinois is at a month and a half into the offseason. In the offseason, there's still so much left to go. Uh, but Illinois has only added two transfers so far, and that's Tommy DeVito, the quarterback from Syracuse, and Tara Edwards, uh, the defensive lineman out of Northwestern. They have at least or around four scholarships available still in 2022. They want more transfers specifically on the offensive line, maybe a defensive back, and then we'll see where else they want to go with this. They could potentially add more transfers in the summer as blue shirts. This all gets very technical, but they are going to make more additions to the team. But so far, um, the departures maybe hurt more than the additions you've made because you've only made two. So there's a long way to go, but I kind of want to break down what Illinois has leaving and how they fill those holes. I did a long piece on this, but I want to talk about it a little bit briefly on the podcast. At quarterback, you lose Brandon Peters, you bring in Tommy DeVito right? Similar kind of players. DeVito's smaller, uh, but more mobile. Both huge arms. Both guys who came in, uh, very highly touted prep prospects. DeVito is more proven at the Power 5 level, but like Peters, had some injury issues, had some inconsistency, lost his job. Um, you know, in his last season, Brandon Peters quickly lost his job and fell behind at Michigan against better competition. But I, I think Tommy DeVito can be an improvement over Brandon Peters, but certainly not a given. And he's still just a one-year solution, even if he is um, kind of the improvement you want at quarterback. Running back, you're returning basically everybody. Chase Brown, Josh McCrage, Kari Norwood, Reggie Love. You're adding Aiden Loffrey and Jordan Anderson. We'll see about Mike Epstein and, and Chase Hayden. Not sure about that. But running back, that's as strong of a room as Illinois has on their roster. Wide receiver, you bring back Isaiah Williams and Casey Washington. But you lose Deuce Span. You lose Jafar Armstrong, who you're expecting to make an impact last year, but didn't. Kind of a an underwhelming transfer class for Illinois, and Jafar was part of that. Dale Von Campbell out, Marquez Beeson out, and you're bringing in a bunch of freshmen who I, I think they should be excited about. Sean Miller, Hank Beatty, Ian Pugh, Ashton Hollins. Sean Miller and Pugh are already on campus, so they get kind of a head start. I think Beatty's the kind of player who could make an impact as a true freshman, but no additions quite yet at this position. I, I do think there is some upside of this room internally getting better, right? Whether that's 
Isaiah Williams is getting a heck of a lot better. I think he can be one of the best wide receivers in the Big Ten West, if he wasn't already. Casey Washington, you started to see him play better and more consistently down the stretch. Uh, Pat Bryant, you know, found a role as a freshman, found a rotational role. He's a guy I might want to buy some stock in. You know, other than that, the, the X factor to me is Brian Hightower. He hasn't entered the transfer portal after not having a catch this past year, after redshirting this past year. Two years ago, had these flashes, I think tied for the team lead in touchdowns with three uh, receiving touchdowns. You're wondering, is it just injuries? Was it just a coordinator thing? Was it was it just a bad year? What was it? But there's still there's still some untapped potential in this room. And I think what's happening at a quarterback and wide receiver is Brett Beal was really betting on his coordinator um, and his new play caller to get more out of what he has. And there is, I think, some untapped potential at wide receiver, but you just you're still a little uneasy at that position heading in. Even though I think Isaiah Williams can be fantastic, Casey Washington's a nice player in the rotation. But you're going to need whether it's Bryant, Hightower, one of those freshmen. I, I think losing Deuce Span hurts. I think it hurts because he's at least a guy you knew could be a next level playmaker. And the fact that he ended up at Florida State says another team believes that too. All right, at tight end, you're expecting to lose Daniel Barker, but he goes to the transfer portal and pulls out of the draft. So Daniel Barker, I can't blame him, to be honest. I thought he was the most underutilized guy on this team last year. And I know Isaiah Williams, maybe get the ball to him a little bit more earlier in the year. Luke Ford, he wanted to get more catches, but he had some opportunities and he dropped them, right? Uh, Daniel Barker needed more than 18 catches. Uh, He's the career touchdown tight end touchdown receptions by a tight end, I'll say it that way, uh, leader at Illinois all time, um, I just thought he could have been used much more effectively in this offense. Maybe it was quarterback, maybe it was coordinator, maybe it was on Barker, whatever it was, but I, I just thought he's a dynamic playmaker, and I think whoever is getting him is getting a really proven, talented playmaker uh, and, and dynamic. I do think tight end, though, you could, you feel okay with Luke Ford coming back because I, I think Luke Ford was a really good blocker last year. His game against Carl Loftus was really, really good uh, against Purdue. And then you just know that there's some receiving potential that he hasn't dipped into yet. So consistency is the key for Luke Ford. Um, he came back because he could have been drafted, but I think he can be drafted highly if he has a really good year. I think he's... He's a guy who can take a huge leap. Tip Ryman was really good last year as a blocker. So you got more traditional tight ends. Then you're bringing Michael Marquez back for a sixth year. Was really good in that fullback role. And I think Owen Anderson, a freshman, uh, could make an early impact. You know, Daniel Barker did as a true freshman, kind of as a a split-out tight end. I think Anderson can kind of do those things as well. And then Henry Boyer is going to need some time uh, to kind of develop into that role. And, And don't count out Jordan Anderson. Uh, maybe playing a little bit of H-back, full-back kind of role. Uh, more probably H-back, but I, I think he can he can probably make a role as just kind of a every once in a while this package kind of guy. Uh, so tight end, I think you feel pretty solid. I don't know if you feel great with Barker playing for another college program, but I, most likely, I mean, he could return. But I, I think you feel solid about tight end with Ford and, and, and Ryman there and some other guys who give you some wrinkles. Offensive line is so as big of a concern to me, maybe even more so than quarterback. Uh, you know, quarterback's got to deliver the ball and, and obviously lifts the program. Offensive line can really hold you back if they're not very good. And the offensive line was okay last year, maybe inconsistent, maybe not as good as you thought it could be. But still, losing Alex Pachewski, Vidarian Lowe, Doug Kramer, all guys who were all Big Ten, uh, all guys who could play at the next level. And then Jack Bedovinak was really good towards the end of last year. Even Blake Gerasati didn't make as big of an impact as they thought, but he's a nice depth option, especially center, uh, when, when you were missing Doug Kramer for a few games. So Julian Pearl's the only starter back. Isaiah Adams comes in, should play an immediate role. I think he's a really good juke offense tackle. You wonder how he'll translate, um, and you know, after that's a big leap up. But after that, you're counting on Jordan Slaughter, Alex Pilstrom, Zach Barlev, Josh Krutz. Some guys that I think long-term could, could make a big impact, especially Barlev, Krutz, Slaughter, but just unproven. Uh, and this is where, if you're concerned about the transfers, it's that they haven't filled these needs yet. But you don't just want bodies. You want good players. And Illinois seems to be really going after good players. Hunter Norzad, the Cornell transfer, just took an official visit. But um, you need some talent there. You, you need some talent there. You don't want to come away – in March and April, still needing to fill that hole. 
Another guy to watch out for is a Juco prospect, Zylan Chrysler, uh, who's expected to visit here very soon. So out of all the positions, I feel offensive line by far you lose the most. And that's saying something because there's a defensive position you lose a lot of good players. But offensive line is still the biggest need, and that's where I think at least two of these scholarships are going to go. Wouldn't surprise me if it was three, but uh, they've invested a lot of scholarships in the class 2022 for the long term. They still need some short-term help, so still very concerned about the offensive line. Defensive line, I think you lose uh, an unsung hero of the defense of Roderick Perry. You bring in Tayrod Edwards, who I think can really compete at nose guard, maybe push Calvin Avery, uh, push Virtus Brown, some talented guys that you just haven't seen it all come together yet at Illinois, though Avery and Brown showed some flashes. How many reps a game can you count on those guys? So I think Edwards is a key addition. And the rest of the defensive line, I think you feel pretty good about. Keith Randolph, Johnny Newton, all Big Ten players. I think they're next-level NFL players. Uh, Jamal Woods coming back, great depth piece uh, who could start for you if you need to. And it sounds like Deion Pate should be back as well, so you got some veterans there, Sidarius McConnell. So it's not a position they've recruited well the last two recruiting classes. Haven't added, they've only added one guy, and that's Sidarius McConnell. It's a huge need for 2023 because you're thinking of life beyond Keith Randolph and Johnny Newton, even though they're just redshirt sophomores. Uh, those guys probably can get some next-level opportunities at some point. But for 2022, I feel pretty good. You might might want one more guy you can throw in that rotation, maybe elevate that rotation just a little bit, but feel pretty good about the starting group. Outside linebacker, you was two really, guy, really good guys, Owen Carney and Isaiah Gay. But you're bringing in Alec Bryant. You already did. He's already been part of the program during the fall. Couldn't play because he uh, you know, transferred after the deadline to get in for the one-time transfer. But former four-star prospect, he's a, a double redshirt freshman, so he's in his third year in college, but he's just a freshman uh, by class. Um, so 6'3", 240, I think he's more in the Carney mold. You know, Isaiah Gaze is quick twitch, pass rusher. Carney's more of the solid uh, edge setter, can still get after the quarterback. But you don't know what he is yet, right? He just hasn't played much of anything of college football. So you just don't know what he is, but you know he's very talented and very highly recruited. The guy I think could take a huge leap here is Seth Coleman. You saw it in flashes last year. Had some injuries that set him back a little bit, but you saw the flashes of what made him uh, a huge a four-star prospect by 24-7 sports. And DJ Johnson showed some flashes last year. One of the true freshmen who played, I think, every game for Illinois. It's a year of adding strength to his frame. You think DJ Johnson could be a good player. And Ezekiel Holmes was playing a lot towards the end of the year, and I think he can uh, kind of be an edge setter, be the guy behind uh, or along with Alec Bryant that, that can really take on that Carney role. But I think it will be a little bit more of a rotation there than Carney and Gay, who played basically every snap. Bryce Barnes guy you don't want to overlook as well. I, I I might bulk him up and put him on the defensive line for me, but he's a guy you don't want to overlook. I think Jared Beatty and, and Gabe Akis, I got to get that right, Gabe Akis, uh, two freshmen that you don't really count on freshman edge rushers, but they got talent and they got size. Like Beatty's added a lot of strength over the last couple of years. So you lose talent there, but I do feel like you got talent in that room. I think Kevin Kane has done a really good job there. Linebacker, you lose Jake Hansen after six years. The surprise really for me of the offseason was Kalon Tolson entering the draft because I thought he was their third linebacker, right? And he decides to enter the draft. I, I don't think he's a guy who's going to get drafted, to be honest with you. And it, it's not a guy that you're counting on to start, but it does impact that linebacker position. C.J. Hart comes back from injury. Tariq Barnes had a really good season, maybe an underrated season, but 80 tackles, six tackles for loss, two sacks, two quarterback hurries, two forced fumbles, uh, five pass breakups, an interception. Like He did pretty well at that linebacker spot. And we know one game, C.J. Hart looked like an all-Big Ten player. So you feel like you got two talents there, but what's behind them? Like you got some walk-ons, you got some redshirt freshmen, you got some true freshmen and Malachi Hood and James Crutes coming in. I just don't know who that depth is. Um, and I, I think they'll stay in-house. I don't think they're going to add a transfer until maybe the summer, maybe with a boosher or something like that. But um, Tolson's departure, maybe it's not a, a no-doubt a no starter for Illinois, but it still hurts because he was a big depth piece like he was a really good third option behind Hanson and behind Hart you just brought him in you brought Barnes in you felt really good about depth I don't feel as good about depth even if you feel good about starters if they're healthy 
At cornerback, you lose Tony Adams. You're only bringing in Elijah McCantos. You're counting on it. I'll just go with the, the whole secondary here. At safety, you're losing Kirby Joseph, Prather Hudson, Derek Smith. Uh, Prather Hudson, Derek Smith, backups, rotation guys. Obviously, Joseph and Adams are, are big losses. You're really counting on internal development here. I'll give Kinoto Hudson this. He brought in some good talent and some down years for Illinois recruiting. Like Defensive back felt like the one room you were recruiting well, evaluating well. Tyler Strain uh, played and traveled with the team. Daniel Edwards traveled with the team. Uh, I do think Joriel Washington at safety, Prince Green at safety, Keontae Curry, there's talent there. Uh, it's just we haven't seen him on the field. So Aaron Henry, Ryan Walters, can they get those guys to play up a level? They're able to do that with Kirby Joseph. You would have loved to bring him back, but who can blame him for striking while the iron's hot? There's no guarantee you come back for another year and improve your stock, or you could hurt it, right? And I, I can't blame Kirby Joseph for going. He's got a senior bowl invite. That's a really good sign. Some people have him as a top 100 prospect. If you're that, I say go. Some people at Illinois might disagree with that, but I, I, I can't blame him for leaving. But you do have Sidney Brown, Quan Martin, Devin Witherspoon. I think all have all Big Ten capabilities. Devin Witherspoon and Sidney Brown have already gotten those honors in their career. I think Quan Martin's an underrated guy returning. He played nickel last year. I think he could play the free safety position. Um, I, I think he could move there. It just depends on Illinois, who thought he played really well at nickel. Do they want to keep him there? Or, and have confidence in somebody else, whether that's Kendall Smith coming back. Can, can he play free safety? Uh, Keontae Curry, can any of those redshirt freshmen, that's going to be a huge thing. And do they have confidence someone like Tavion Nicholson could be the nickel, and that allows Quan Martin to go to the back end. That'll be very interesting uh, to watch. And, and then specialists, you lost everything there basically, right? James McCourt, Blake Hayes, Ethan Tabell, all fantastic at what they do. They're gone. Caleb Griffin finally going to get his chance at kicker, but he's going to be pushed by Will McManus. Hugh Robertson, the 29-year-old Aussie, takes the torch from Blake Hayes. Never punted an American football game yet. And then Aiden Hall will take on uh, Ethan Tabell as long snapping duties. Illinois also brought in an Air Force transfer walk-on for Barizio Pintone uh, to come back. So I broke this down more, but you look at that and – Illinois got some talent. I think especially on defense, you feel good about the talent that is there, and you feel like you know you have coaches and a defense coordinator that can get the most out of the talent they have. Offensively, do you feel better quarterback? I don't know if you can yet. I feel better. I feel like Tommy DeVito coming in was more proven than Brandon Peters coming in. Brandon Peters had a pretty solid 2019, but who's he throwing to, and can you protect him? Brandon Peters had a better offensive line in front of him than I think Tommy DeVito is going to have next year. That's why the transfer portal and who they add is still going to determine a lot about what we think about this team. I think the schedule, especially with Penn State off, Indiana in, I think you have an opportunity to get to a bowl game. I think that should be the expectation next year. But I still think they got to make the moves and, and make the improvements, whether it's personnel, play calling, especially on offense. They have to make improvements there to, to make me think I'd make that prediction in the offseason. I, I would still think the Vegas over-under for this team is going to be three and a half. I, I, I would imagine that would be – I would probably go over three and a half if I were betting right now. I would. I, I would go over three and a half because I think their defense is going to be good enough. And, man, the offense can only be better, I think. <laughs> I say that, but I don't feel any better about offensive line. I feel a little bit better about quarterback because I think it'll be better. I feel better about the play calling with Barry Lonnie coming in, but there's still major questions. So all of that, that huge breakdown, is to say Illinois still needs to hit in the transfer portal. And that was a big knock, I guess, for Brett Bielman in year one. The transfer portal didn't add much. Jack Bedovinak was probably the most impactful guy, along with Arthur Sikowski, and Sikowski wasn't all that good at quarterback outside of the Nebraska game. You got to hit, and, and that's why it seems like they're being a little bit more patient in the portal is they know they have to hit. There's only so many scholarships, and they know they have to get good ones to elevate this team because they don't have all those super seniors to kind of just you know cover up or just fill those potential weaknesses that would have been there. This is kind of the rebuild year, and you're fine, trying to find some bridges to help you to these recruiting classes that Brett Bielma's bringing in, and you still got some holes there. 
you still got some holes there. All right, let's talk some Illinois basketball coming up next with Michael Tuop. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, it's that time of week. Let's catch up with Michael Tuop. And boy, we got a lot to talk about after Illinois basketball falls in a classic at State Farm Center. We've had two of those against now top five teams. Unfortunately for Illinois, did not end up in a win. It was 96-88 to Purdue. And Mike, I want to dive into Andre Curbelo back and what he means for the long term. The, the boss man's game. Uh, but here you are, Illinois, and their All-American does not play like an All-American, yet they take a top five team down to the wire. It feels like a missed opportunity, Mike, but at the same time you showed that you can compete with the best teams in the country. Even, you know, didn't have your A game from Kofi either of those games. Yeah. And I think if there's anyone that's not into moral victories, it's, it's Brad Underwood. But at the same time, I I do agree with him. I'm hearing what he's talking about after the game. Like, Hey, there's a lot of positives to draw from this game. And um, it was a dog fight with a final four contender. And, you know, you're without your national player of the year candidate for, for 30 minutes of the game, and you still got a shot there to win it. But it, it was a weird game. I think that the, the structure of that game, the flow of that game, it always felt like Illinois was doing just enough to stay in it, um, but never really had the shot at the end to win it. It was always to tie it. Um, soon as they got close, it was typically a Stefanovic three uh, that, that separated things. But but yeah, I, I mean, I think you you look at the Arizona game, you look at the Purdue game, and there's just there's no way you come out of those two games thinking that you can't compete with the top teams in the country. Um, they've proven that. We're gonna get into the Andre Curbelo stuff, but um, man, when when this group is is together and when they're clicking, I don't know. I, I mean, it's really hard to to imagine uh, that there's a ton of teams out there that can beat them. Um, when they're at full strength, when they're doing what they do. So, um, yeah, like I said, you know, you don't get too much into the moral victory side uh, because at the end of the day, you do want to win that game. Um, And there were chances to win that game. So, you know, you take that confidence and uh, that you can hold your own and, and, you know, hopefully have that propel you through the rest of the big 10 schedule, but February 10th, February 10th in West Lafayette is going to be going to be a good one. That's for sure. Mike, what were your impressions of Purdue? Um, you know, obviously two slip-ups early in the season. Um, you know, I thought Illinois did a pretty great job against Trevion Williams for most of that game, kind of like Purdue did with Kofi Coburn. Uh, but what were your impressions of what Purdue looked like? Because uh, they, they kind of looked like they earned that number four ranking in the country. Yeah, and, and there's still some question marks defensively, uh, I think, for them. Um, Illinois didn't really have any – trouble there there was that little stretch in the first half but um for the most part they were able to kind of get where they wanted to go on the floor and run what they wanted to run and uh but like i always say with purdue and and I, i've talked about it ad nauseum to whoever whoever wants to listen it's it's sasha stefanovich and and Jaden ivy zach ed trivian williams are, are going to do what they do uh every game the the swing vote if you will uh, always comes down to those guys, um, specifically Sasha. And I know that that staff, the Illinois staff, was on high alert with that. And it's, it's amazing a guy like that who can erupt so quickly. It, it's, it's an offensive rebound, kick out. It's a transition three. And then at that point, you're kind of – you're at his mercy with his confidence. And, um, you know, I thought Trent did a good job on him, you know, guarding a lot of those off-the-ball actions. And 
that's what makes them makes them a really tough team. Obviously, Zach Eady, I come away more impressed with Zach Eady every time I watch him. Um, why? He was, he was, why, like, out of his growth from freshman to sophomore year, are you so impressed? Yeah, I just think he he's his skill level and his touch. I mean, I think we we talked about that before. A lot of times when you have guys like you know, let's talk about a Kofi Coburn. Zach Eady type of matchup when when the strength and size is neutralized, then the next thing that bigs have to rely on is touch. Um, and he has that. And that's why he's able to, to remain consistent and, and still make an impact on the game. And that's where I think Kofi can struggle at times is when that, that size and strength is neutralized. Um, he doesn't have the touch uh, of some of these other bigs, a Trevion Williams, a Zach Eady, because both of them have a really good touch and they happen to be on the same team. Uh, which which is crazy, but I, you know I think I, I wouldn't have thought last year that he would be a guy that could potentially leave after his sophomore year. Um, but man, I, he's mobile. Uh, he can move his feet. I mean, he's seven four, and I I don't see any. It's not like a situation where you know you're talking about all these different aspects to to keep him out of the NBA. Look, he he is he's got a good stroke. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think he's, he's a guy that could, could be hearing his name called in, in June. And, and then, you know, Jaden Ivy, I thought DeMonte did a really good job. Of him. Uh, really. I mean, I don't know what he ended up being three for 10, whatever it was. He, and started, he got one to the line a, started one for eight. Yeah. Got to the line a bunch. And I think I had told, I don't know if I, had, you and I had talked about this during the game, but I was, I was talking to somebody about it and there's two players in this conference that are better than anybody at drawing contact and going to the line when there isn't probably as much contact as them laying on the floor makes it look like. Um, and Jaden Ivey and, and EJ Liddell do that probably better than anybody. Um, finding ways to get to the free throw line. You can call it gamesmanship, whatever it is, whatever you want to call it. But um, I thought there were a couple of calls during the game and, Part of that is he's just such a supreme athlete that those collisions, you know, end up being fouls anyways. And, and it's, you know, he, he does such a good job being not only just a vertical jumper, but uh, a horizontal jumper as well. Uh, it's like some of the, some of the stuff John Morant does really well. Um, and, and then you mentioned Trevion Williams. I know he was six for 18 or whatever he was. It's pretty hard to fathom that, you know, and part of that is Boston's Redonk. I mean, he, he was really, really good in those minutes. Um, going up against Edie, going up against Williams, uh, you know, but they can, they can just hit you from so many different angles, uh, that team. And that's, that's really what ends up being. They shoot it at 40%. Um, I saw a stat during the game. They're outscoring their opponents by 124 points in the free throw line this season. So, you know, and then you have 90% free throw shooting. Sasha Spanovich, Ivy can shoot free throws. Edie can shoot free throws. Williams, I mean, that they have the makeup of a team that can make a deep run, uh, that can be a Final Four national championship type team, and like we said with Illinois, it's it's good to know and get that that litmus test of hey, we're right there with those teams. Yeah, uh, I do want to bring up this, Mike. I want to talk about some of the positives, especially Curbelo, Bossman's, Redonk, Plummer getting out of a shooting slump here. Uh, but Kofi, I guess we can call him struggles against great big men, right? Like Coloco is a first-round pick. Edie, as you said, uh, can be Boban or the, the now version of Yao, right? And whatever that is in the NBA. And, and also Kofi, during these last, what, five games, he's averaging 20 and 11, right? So this is all relative. But when we're talking about Illinois reaching that next level, yeah. Kofi has struggled against those top five teams. And I, I looked this up right before we started. His field goal percentage during conference play is 52.7%. Last year during conference play, he shot 66.4%. What are your concerns, thoughts about that? Um, because they need him to be great to reach the ceiling they want. He's been great for all the season. He's a national player of the year candidate. He deserves that. But in these games, uh, in this small sample size, um, he's gotten outplayed by those big men. Well, he needs to be efficient, um, first and foremost. And, and I, I thought the, the glaring thing – during that Purdue game, and it was very uncharacteristic of Kofi. He looked frustrated. Um, you know, the body language, and, and we've talked about before where he's he's so good with that. And, and, I, and I think maybe it's these big men matchups and 
he really wants to do well, especially against a Coloco or a Williams or, or an Edie. And it frustrates him when he, when he can't, I, I mean, it's, it's just different, you know, when you're going against those two guys and uh, you know, you don't, you, you can't move to the spots you want to move to. You can't get those point blank layups. You got to rely on more like six foot floaters almost or hook shots. Um, you know, and, and I think, Obviously, Kofi's much better when he is right at the rim. He's shown that he can do some things right hand, left hand, right shoulder, left shoulder, but it's not necessarily his strength. Um, you know, so he, you know, and I know we're nitpicking here. Yeah, uh, we are, know. but like if we're talking final four contender, we got a nitpick, right? Like that's the for sure. It could be the difference in, in reaching that kind of level. No, you're right. And and I think I, I was talking the other day and um, the Nebraska game, like that was not a good, Kofi was, wasn't good in that game. And I'm not ashamed to say that because when you're a national player that you're candidate, I'm sorry, you're just, you're held to a different standard. Uh, you know, you just are, it's, it's the reason why we can look at 10 Omar Payne minutes and be like, Oh my God, he was incredible at Nebraska. We're like, sometimes that can just be a, another walk in the park for Kofi. Um, so it's, it's just, why it's why LeBron, all these guys, like they are nitpicked to death. Like, and some people don't. It's like, hey, you got to appreciate them, and I, I think we do with Kofi. But like, if you want to be national player of the year, you have to show up in these games, or you have to play well. And I, despite some numbers, Mike, I don't feel like he's played all that well uh, since the COVID pause. Right? I, I just don't think he's been at the top of his game. He's he's looked a little gassed. Um, he definitely looked that way against Nebraska. I thought he looked that way at at times against Purdue as well, but look with Kofi and prisoner of his own success is probably a little aggressive, but I I think there's, there's something to that, right? You know, I, uh, he's, he's the type of guy that, you know, a, a lot of the game comes easy to him. And I say comes easy to him. That's the way it looks. Uh, so the contrast when he's, when that's what he's used to. And then, like I said, going up against these, these other big men, uh, you can tell it means a lot to Kofi. Like Kofi really wants to play well in those games. I think he really wanted to play well against Coloco. And I think he really wanted to play well in this Purdue game. And, and he, he really didn't in either game. Uh, but there's still opportunities, right? There's still, you know, you don't even look too far ahead where you see, whether it's Bingham or, um, you know, or Trace Jackson Davis coming up. And then right after Trace Jackson Davis, you have Edie and Williams again. So there's plenty of opportunities for him to kind of right the ship and um, in turn in, uh, you know, a, a Kofi performance against, against these, you know, these really, really good big men. So um, like we talked about, you know, you, you don't worry about Kofi in, in terms of, whether or not he's going to produce, but we t- like, like we just said, though, you want to go to a final four, you know, you want to potentially win a national championship. I mean, he, you're not going to do it with him being a, you know, a bystander, right. He's going to, he's going to have to have a big part in that. And, and he certainly, he certainly can and will. All right, Mike, let's talk about a little bit of the positive uh, from this game, because I do think there's some good vibes that come out of this game. Cause you feel like you lost this huge big 10 battle, but that in the long-term war here, you might have a chance. Like you got better because Andre Corbello is back. And for everybody, you and I were saying it throughout his, his absence, Illinois is going to be better when he gets back. And, and even the always hot takey Doug Gottlieb before the game said, both teams are very happy. Andre Corbello is going to be back uh, saying that Illinois might be worse with Corbello in the lineup. Boy, did he shut all them up. Like 20 points, 18 after halftime. Uh, and you just saw immediately what he brings to the table, but I'll let you explain it. What did, what did Andre Corbello immediately bring to the table after not playing basketball for a month and a half? It's, it's remarkable. Um, not only to be out of game action for, for two months, to, you know, to only practice live, I think twice from what I heard. Um, and, and then to do what he did, it's pretty obvious, right. That he raises this team's ceiling, but that goes beyond just, his abilities. It, it's, it's what his presence allows this team to do. So first and foremost, it lessens Trent's load. Um, 
previous three games before Purdue, you're talking about 40 minutes, 38 minutes, 35 minutes, and guarding the opposing team's best player, handling the scoring duties, the ball handling duties. Uh, that's a lot for one person. Uh, and, and it's not like you worry about durability with Trent, uh, but there's something to be said about that. You know, when, when you're, there's a, there are not many players in the country that do all three of those things. Mm-hmm. Scoring load, ball handling, guard the other team's best player. It's typically maybe one of the three or two of the three. It's never really three, all three of them. So, you know, Curbelo's return allows Trent to have a little bit more balance uh, both on and off the ball offensively and both on and off the ball defensively. You've seen Curbelo kind of be the, the point of attack defensively at times when Trent's in there. Trent can go and, and guard someone more on the wing and Curbelo can typically guard the point guard, whereas Trent's typically always guarding the point guard. Um, but you saw them mix in some other actions too. It wasn't just Andre Curbelo handling the ball. It was, hey, let's get Curbelo off the ball. Let's, and it's deliberate because – for a guy that's coming back that, that, you know, hasn't had a lot of game reps, you, it's, it's exhausting to simply just be in that ball handling mode and, and it's, it's tiring. And, you know, I think they were, they did a great job of balancing that out to where he could play 26 minutes or whatever it ended up being. Um, but look, no one's better at, at knifing into that second level of the defense. And, and we'll talk about it in the film and we'll show the contrast between when Curbelo's on the floor and when he's off the floor and the quality of shots and how that changes so drastically um, and how he's the type of guy that can make you pay no matter what ball screen coverage the other team's in. You know, I always like to say for him, whether you want a hard hedge, whether you want to drop coverage, whether you want a soft hedge, whatever it may be, he finds a way to make you pay for it. And Trent is very good in, you know, with the drop coverage, pull-ups, you know, getting downhill, but he's, he's not as strong with those hard hedges. So when you have Curbelo, he's able to do all of that. But I'll even, you know, take it to the next step with Kofi, right? Like Curbelo's presence gives Kofi the opportunity to get a couple, you know, some easier free runs to the basket out of these ball screens, um, you know, and, and that's going to lessen the exhaustion that comes with banging in the post every possession, right? You know, Kofi, for the most part, when Curbelo's out, it's just feed him, feed him, feed him. Not a ton of high ball screens. You know, there were some with Trent, but for the most part, you're getting the ball thrown into you every possession and you're banging and you're banging. And that, that is the type of thing that can also, you know, wear out a player. Uh, and, and I think Kofi is going to be somebody that that's needed on the defensive end, especially in ball screen coverages. So the, you know, it, it just creates more continuity. It creates more, you know, balance for this team. And, but I'll make this final point about Curbelo. And this is, this is really what I was most impressed with. You, know, you talk about the, the cardio and how he's able to do what he did in that game. I, I loved his demeanor. Yeah. His demeanor was fantastic. You know, we, we talked about the Marquette game where, you know, it's the officiating and it's the, you know, kind of spiraling. And, and that's how we always talk about it. It's, it's never the actual turnover. It's the fact he's worried about something else and it leads to a turnover. Uh, he seems so even keel. And in and, 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 and my personal opinion, he, he carried himself like a true point guard in this game and that's not getting too high and that's not getting too low. And you can tell how potent he can be when he, when he plays like that. Um, I mean, he looked like an all American. He really did. I mean, he looked like an all American in that game and made, made a massive impact. So it was so good to see him back. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff has, has kind of gone on behind closed doors and, um, and, and you obviously feel for the kid, uh, but I, but I do think like we talked about, him being able to see this team from the sidelines for two months and, and just thinking, Hey, you know, I just need to be, I just need to be Andre Curbelo. You know, I, I don't need to play above my head. Um, we got a lot of really good players on this team. And, and, and that was the Andre Curbelo that, I, that, you know, that you saw on Monday. Yeah. Poised pace. Um, I, I thought he put a great pace, whether it was slowing it down, speeding it up. Um, and, and he just wasn't scared. Um, I, I thought that was great. And I thought early on, he didn't try to do too much and be like, Hey, I'm back everybody. 
just kind of settled in, didn't make a huge impact in the first half, though he got some open shots from people. And then the second half, he goes, okay, my team needs me to turn it up, You're right? And, and he did. And, uh, you know, you never want to predict with, with head injuries or anything like that, but if they get Curbelo on the court the rest of the year, uh, boy, that's a really, really good thing for Illinois. I don't want to overreact to Benjamin Bossman for Donk's game, right? Um, but it is nice to have that in your bullpen, right? A, a guy that Omar Payne is is more talented, springier, longer. Uh, Kofi Coburn obviously is not going to have many down nights, right? But when you need five minutes or two minutes for somebody to just bang around with one of the best big men in the Big Ten who's who's a burly guy, you can throw Bossman's or Donk out there and feel like you can survive, Mike. And he did that for 20 minutes against Trevion Williams and Zach Eady. I sent you the stats. Eady on the court with against Bossman's or Donk, he was one of four, and he was noticeably less aggressive. Yeah. Uh, and then Trevion Williams was aggressive, but he was three of nine when Bossman's or Donk. And the shots he made over Bossman's or Donk were just like cap tip, man. That's a heck of a shot. How did how did Bossman's or Donk do that? Well, I think you mentioned the defense first right and, and there's there's a, a little bit of a difference between Posmus or Donk and, and and Kofi and I think at times Kofi can rely on his strength so he'll he'll sometimes just let the ball go into the post uh and then just worry about it after that you know chesting the guy but Verdonk was fighting around and and I thought you know I was talking to one of my buddies about this he had a two-play stretch that was probably two of the better plays that he's made in his career on consecutive possessions. I think it was towards the end of the first overtime um, ball was kind of getting pinballed around and he tipped it. And then the ball Ivy basically had kind of picked it up and he dove yeah. and knocked it out of Ivy's hands. Um, they were to regain another possession. And then the, and then the next possession after that, they tried to make a post entry pass to Trevion Williams and, and he reaches his arm around and pokes it out and they get a, you know, they get a steal of 45 seconds left going the other way. I mean, those are just massive plays, but I think his value goes beyond, Hey, let's throw him in to bang against another low post threat. I, I think there's, there's an element to him on offense and, and granted. Yes. When we, when we talk about, Hey, go in there, you don't even need to look at the rim. I mean, he did that to the nth degree, uh, you know, when he kicked it back out to Trent and swung it to Plummer, but you can play through him a little bit, right? Like he's a good passer. Um, you know, you can go do some five out stuff. You can do, I think he's a really good screener. Um, he yeah, doesn't I, trust get him more on, I trust him more on that stuff than, than pain. Right. Like yeah. I, I just trust pain to finish. Like if pain gets the ball at the rim, he's yeah. going to finish. I, I don't think for dog's going to. Yeah, no. And I, and I think, it's amazing too, because you see the type of player that Bosman Zerdon can be when Andre Carrello is on the floor, right? You set those screens, they do this soft hedge and he can slip behind the defense, slip behind Trayvon Williams and these guys that are guarding the ball screens. And, you know, yeah, he had a couple point blank looks. I know two of them, he got fouled. Uh, you know, he, he missed, he missed the one bunny there. Um, and then he just got to the point in the first overtime where he's like, Oh, I'm just, by catching him in the basket, I'm just going to kick it out. But I think there is a lot of value in that. We, we go back to the Big Ten tournament last year and they threw him in there against Iowa. And, and part of it is, you know, you don't, you don't put him in there to guard Luca Garza, but if Kofi's in foul trouble or, you know, he can do those things, um, right? So I, I don't think this is the last time we're going to see Bosnes Verdonk in this type of situation. Uh, is it going to be 20 minutes against the top five team in the country? Probably not, but he's at least proven that he can come in in these in these scenarios and not just be like a ah oh, yeah you know he did all right he played really well um, really well and, and and he plays within himself I think too that's the other thing is just kind of the self awareness of you know knowing who you are and who you aren't and, and I think he does that at a high level so really impressed with him uh, really impressed with just you know, his ability to come in, in the moment, in the second half, uh, I don't even believe he played in the first half, um, but to come in and do what he did, it's, I think it says a lot about kind of that next man up mentality. I know a lot of people <laughs> use that phrase, uh, but, but it's true. It, it's true. You know, when Omar Payne is in foul trouble as well, and you start getting down on the bench, not many teams have that luxury. Once you start going to your third big, you're like, you know, like Michigan, right? The other night they had fall, you know, Jaron falls out there and it was, 
you know, it just, it didn't look great. Um, you know, but, but you have Bosman Zerdonk and he's certainly proven that whether it's sparingly or five minutes, 10 minutes, maybe it's not 20 minutes, but he can make an impact. And you just trust him to do what he has to do. Like, uh, you know, Payne, I don't know if he has that trust yet, but you know what the ceiling is. And you saw it against uh, Nebraska, like Bossman's, you just, if you tell him to do the job, you feel like he's going to do that job as long as you're not asking him to score 10 points against Big Ten uh, opponents. Uh, I, they went small, and that seemed to work for him. You know, Plummer, Curbelo, Frazier all together for a big stretch of minutes. And DeMonte does deserve a ton of credit for what he did against Ivy. Um, so I don't want to lose focus on that. But I thought Alfonso Plummer breaking out of his slump was massive for Illinois, not just for this game, but I think for, for the long term, because when that kid is confident, man, and I was happy to see him continue to fire him up, Mike, because he started off uh, pretty weak in this game, didn't shoot very well to start this game. I forgot what the numbers were. One of six in the first half, passed up some threes, and then he ends up six of 12 from three and just carried you to keep prolonging this game. Um, that's massive uh, to have him maybe gain some confidence. Or Am, am I overstating that? No, I, I think you're exactly right. And, and the the threes that he hit were in massive moments. Um, in the first half, there were, you know, some other times where you look and say, Hey, you just need to catch and shoot it. You know, this 13 foot floater stuff, pull-ups. And, and I thought in the second half, he kind of just said to hell with it. You know, if I get some space, yeah, like it's going up and that's, that's who he has to be. Right. And he, he is, he's a, he's a good one, two pull-up guy, but three over two, man. And he can do it and he can do it at a high level. So yeah, that's what I was most excited to see was, Oh, he's just, he's back to just not thinking about it. And if he has any sliver of space, it's going up and that's the way it should be for him. Um, but yeah, it was great with, to see with, with him, Mike, I like, started to interrupt, but like yeah. with him, you know, some guys get closed out hard, like DeMonte sometimes like he doesn't have a lot of elevation, like Plummer has so much elevation and such a quick trigger that I'd rather have him if on a good closeout. I'd rather have him fire and shoot it still yeah. compared to some of these other guys than than try and drive and finish. Well, he's proven too that he doesn't need a ton of space. Yeah. Uh, just even remembering that Iowa game, right, where he in that first half he had, he had three threes, I think, to start that game, and all of them just felt like guys were draped on him. So I think the other development within this is that we hadn't seen a Curbelo Plumber matching performance uh in, in the games that they played together i know Plummer hadn't really emerged at that point but you know i like i think that's that's really good to see you know both of them score 20 plus um help this team in a big way i mean look like Corbello, we know what he brings to the table ball screens facilitating he, he's so good at that intermediate level you know with pull-ups and turnarounds and and then now you extend out to where Plummer is where his strengths are. I mean, it, you get, and then now you have Kofi more like the low, you know, really the low post threat. I mean, this is, this is what, what we had talked about with Curbelo adding another dimension to this team offensively. It, it's true. Cause it, like all three areas that of the offensive end, Illinois is, is pretty darn strong. In. And then I, I didn't even mention Trent Grandison, DeMonte. I mean, it's, it, it really is. I mean, I know, I know they're the 11th, by offensive efficiency standards, 11th ranked team in the country. But man, when they, when they put all of that together, I mean, they, they can be a top five, top three type of offense. I think they're that good. Mike, before I let you go, fans might be uh, upset if I don't ask you about the officiating. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, Sean Harrington is always like, Hey, if you're complaining about the officials, you're focused on something you shouldn't be focused on. There were some tough calls. Like there, there were some tough calls. I think Kofi's, Second one, I don't think he should have put himself in that situation. He gave the hand to the refs to, to do it. The third one was tough where he fell down and basically Edie fell over him. That one's tough. But, like, what did you think? Did that make a huge impact on the game? Um, it's like the – you know, I always talk about the Scott Nagy thing, right? You and I have talked about before, like, team that's complaining about the refs typically getting their butts kicked. Um. <laughs> But, you know, you know, I think there was an element. I, I think the IV files probably drove me a little bit more crazy than anything because it's just, you know, it's like you have to call them because it looks like there's a lot of contact. But the one in the second half that was 
in front of Purdue's bench with Andamante. I mean, some of those were just, just, and those are big calls. You know, it's puts you that much closer to the bonus or it puts you on the free throw line. You know, I, I thought both ways, you know, I, the officiating, you can make probably calls for both sides, right? Like Kofi, I thought it's funny. I mean, they, they were giving him chances to not foul. I mean, the, after he picked up his third foul, that next possession, he should have gotten called for a foul. I mean, he was he was hitting Edie in the chest, and I, I was like, they're going to call his fourth right now. And then it ended up just being the following possession when when Ivy draws or drives baseline. But I don't know. I I don't really get too caught up in the officiating stuff. I mean, I think that that type of stuff can go both ways. I honestly thought there was a, there's the play at the end of the game where. You know, it's the full Andre Curbelo experience, and he and he throws the ball down to to Plummer. Actually, that Plummer got Gillis up in the air, and I thought there could have been a chance there for for an and one. But can you call it in that moment? Probably not. Um, it, it's it stinks that at times they officiate the moment. It seems. It's a um, tough job, man. I would never want that job. Like, yeah, that's it's, it's the worst. <laughs> I, you, it's the it's the most like thankless job. Yeah. And no one's gonna. No one ever leaves a game saying, well, "That was a hell of an officiated game." <laughs> I mean, no one ever says that. You know, it's can always. Can we do that? Like when it actually happens, can we just sit there and go, "Hey, hey, hey. Bo, well done." Yeah. Man. Like I always, no, I always like Ted Valentine. To be honest with you, I, I think yeah. he officiated when you were in. Yeah, dude, he gave the histrionics right. Like he, Ted Valentine wanted you to know he was there. But I always liked him because games never got out of hand. I, yeah. I will say that about Bo. Like, Bo games usually do not get out of hand. Um, yeah. I think Serato's got away with – he had a way with Gross. I know that. Um, but he's got away with Underwood, too, where he just kind of smiles at all of Underwood's, like, antics. And then they smile about they, – they have a good relationship. Like, those are the guys I like that just don't let things get out of hand, that have the relationships with the coaches to make sure that – you know, and Omar Payne and, and Trevion Williams had that exchange. You're thinking, oh, this one – we'll see where it goes and it got under control from there. But I understand there were some tough calls for them. If you watch the Baylor West Virginia game last night, I don't, know, I don't know if you were able to catch any of that. I mean, it looked like a different sport. <laughs> I mean, they were just, it was a massacre and, and they just, I don't know what it is about Morgantown. And this is what always confuses me about officiating. It just seems like, you know, there is human error, right. And there is, I guess, subjectivity in, in a way. Uh, but that game last night, Baylor, West Virginia was just, I, I couldn't believe it. I was, I was watching it and it was just every time a guy went up for a rebound, his arms getting pulled to the ground and he's, you know, the, the bumping and it, it's just, it was a whole different level compared to, you know, Purdue, Illinois on Monday. But look, I, you know, there, there's going to be games this year where Illinois, Illinois comes out on top and it was tough officiating for the other team. Uh, you know, those things tend to happen. I think it's the frustrating stuff just tends to be, you know, and like there, I thought a lot of the fouls were kind of rightfully called, you know, Trent lands in Sasha's airspace on the three. That's a, that's going to be a foul. You know, Ivy draw, drives baseline for Kofi's fourth. Um, Ivy Kofi tries to take a charge, which is beyond me. Uh, I know he's gotten a couple this year, or at least it's taken two. Um, but it's so counterintuitive to think that, like, if he just jumps up and contests that shot at the rim, he probably doesn't get called for a foul. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not going to belabor the point. If, but. if he was Trent Frazier, you would have gotten that when you're Kofi Coburn. You're not. And, again, yeah, that's that's just probably – It just doesn't right. look natural. Like, yeah. like Kofi taking a charge just, just doesn't look yeah. natural at all. So, um, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm not – like I said, I'm not big on the ref stuff, but – Moving forward, like, you know, there's going to be some games where you probably catch a break because of the officiating. All right, Mike, uh, here's, you know, I don't think there's any shame in losing to Purdue and what it was a, a classic. I mean, a, a, it's a game I'm going to remember. Uh, kind of like, even though Illinois lost a couple of years ago at Iowa, I thought it was one of my favorite games I've ever attended just because the intensity of it, the, the back and forth, the rivalry of it. Uh, but now you got to go on the road and take care of business against a Maryland team that, Mike, to be honest with you, just does not look like they're into the season anymore. And I can't blame them, given that their coach resigned midway through the year. They're, they're losing games, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and now you go on the road. Like, but they've given you fits. Maryland competed with you at home. 
Um, you know, they've, they've had a three game winning streak. I think six of the last seven before that. Um, so this, this is a take care of business game for Illinois. It ha- yeah, it has to be. And, and I get it over the years, Maryland has kind of had Illinois number and, and that's not the easiest place to play um, out there in college park. So, you know, I, I I, I think you look at a team right now like Maryland. I mean, they, they have zero identity. Um, you watch them against Michigan last night, and they struggle against interior post presence. Uh, Wahab has been extremely underwhelming for what he was supposed to be coming in out of the transfer portal. Um, but look, you know, with Fats, Russell, Ayala, Hart, um, they still have capable players. And it's just not a game where you can come in and think that they're going to roll over. Um, now I think that if you can land a, a big enough punch in the first half, they might, they probably will. Uh, that's just kind of, that's just kind of been their season where, where they do wilt a little bit, um, you know, when they, when they have a little bit of adversity, but yeah, you know, I, I think you're in a position now where you go out there, you go and snag another road win. Obviously Illinois has been fantastic on the road in big 10 play for a considerable amount of time. And, um, but you can't overlook them. Uh, yeah, I know Michigan state kind of looms after that Maryland game. So you go out there, you take care of business, you move to seven and one in, in conference and, you know, and then you're going to have a big matchup there with, with the Spartans. Um, yeah, I just, but like I said, watching that Michigan game last night, you know, uh, Danny Manning, I think, is trying to do as good a job as he can. I just, I'm just not sure that he really has a a grip on that locker room. And I, I don't know how much those those guys don't look like they like playing with each other. Um, and I think that those are really things that you can see sitting on your couch, it's like, oh wow, well, there's just no connectivity there. Yeah, and that's the hard that's, part of going the transfer route, right? Like when you're trying to like save a job and put all these different pieces together. Uh, I, I do want to mention like, like we can look ahead uh, to, to Michigan state. What do you think of that matchup? Obviously a bad loss for them to Northwestern, but, uh, and it's a team that like I question, you know, Tom Izzo's done a heck of a job with this team because there's talent, but, and Max Christie could be a first round pick potentially if he ends his year really well, but it's not a team that I look at and say, they, they overwhelm me. It's almost like a Wisconsin thing a little bit where it's like the sum is a little bit greater than the parts. They're, they just kind of know their roles. There's depth there. Uh, but what do you think of that matchup against Illinois? Well, I think like we talked about before, I think there's a lot of similarities between these two teams. Um, you know, the, the way that they rebound, right. They, they turn the ball over a little bit. Um, you know, and, and they've, they've shot it really well this year at 38%. So, you know, like, I, I think this team, they're a little bit younger. Michigan State is in some areas, you know, has some transfers in some areas. So, you know, they're probably not even playing their best basketball yet. Um, that's That still remains to be seen. Uh, you know, but I think the way this Illinois team can really, you know, can really come out of that game victorious is you, you keep them out of transition, right? They don't run a ton of ball screen stuff. A lot of it's just continuity. Um, you don't let them get going from three. Uh, yeah. And that's really going to end up being the story. And then I, I think Bingham has been fantastic this year as well. Um, so, you know, I know Kofi has him in the, in the strength department, but Bingham has a ton of length Um I don't think he's, he might be leading the, the conference in block shots right now, or that might be Trace Jackson Davis. Um, both of them are up there. I know that, but, uh, but it's going to be another test for Kofi, right. Against another big that's long and um, can kind of give other bigs fits. So I'm excited. And, and, and really it feels like, it feels like over the years, yeah, I know it's, it's back in the state farm center for this game, but like that was a bad game last year. You know, last time they played Michigan state, it was not pretty. Um, so I think there's, there's an element to that too, where you want to go out and, and play well, especially against a team that's, you know, that's playing so well right now in, in conference and, um, and they're going to have opportunities down the road, like I said, but, um, you know, you take care of business against Maryland and, and this will be a big one. This will, this will be a big one. I, I'd expect that one to be another ruckus 
crowd and, and good atmosphere. So, you know, you're looking forward to it, but obviously you can't, you know, got to take it one game at a time. Yeah. I feel like Illinois got the advantage center guard, but the, the wings, the four, like Michigan state's got a lot of depth and a, and a lot of good talent at that position should be a lot of fun. Well, Mike, we're going to do uh, you're going to do a film breakdown of Andre Kerbo and all his impact. So people can check that out on the site. Uh, it should be another busy, uh, I guess we'll learn a lot again, kind of week for Illinois basketball. Appreciate the insight as always. Thanks Jeremy. Great stuff as always from Michael Tulip and, uh, be on the lookout for his VIP film room breakdown of Andre Corbell. We'll post that uh, either later Wednesday night or early Thursday morning, and you can get a breakdown of Mike just showing you exactly what Andre Corbell brings to the team and, yes, why they are better when he is on the team. That'll do it for this episode of the Illini Enquirer podcast. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Illini Enquirer podcast. Give us a follow, a rating, review, wherever you get your podcast. We always appreciate that. And check us out at IlliniEnquirer.com. As always, just $1 for a VIP membership. Illinois football is getting after it on the recruiting trail. I'll be out in D.C. as well for the game at Maryland. And, of course, plenty of Big Ten action coming up and we'll break it all down at IlliniEnquirer.com as well as the Illini Enquirer podcast. Everybody take care of each other. Have a great day and we'll talk to you next time on the Illini Enquirer podcast. Yeah.